morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? Today was a great morning at 8 o'clock this morning. Kaya Watson was baptized, and so Kit and Casey's uh, daughter. And so we rejoice with the Watson family on Kaya's baptism. That was a wonderful experience to do that this morning. Um, also, this afternoon, this evening at 6 o'clock, there is a community prayer gathering for all of the uh, teachers, any, anybody from UConn and Edmond schools, I mean, Edmond, sorry, Mustang, I don't know where that came from. So Mustang and Yukon and everybody are getting together. They're praying at the Trinity Baptist Church. Uh, and so a lot of the community leaders and everybody will be there. And if you want to go and be, uh, be a part of that, I'd encourage you. That's at 6 o'clock this evening. Uh, so uh, let me ask you a question. Hang on just a minute. Somebody's flashing something at me because I haven't done something yet. Hang on. I've got two iPads here today. Okay, there we go. All right, here we go. Now, now let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a couple of questions. What is, just think about this, what is the Holy Spirit to you? When you think about the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit to you? And what is your relationship to this Spirit that God has given you as a gift? What does that Spirit actually mean to you? And how does the Spirit actually function in your life, in your life? So what if, what if, what if we all had a comprehensive grasp of the Spirit's working? What if, what if we also understood the mystery surrounding the source given to us by God? By God Himself, the source which is within each and every one of us. Okay, so I'm going to begin at a very unusual place in my lesson today, all right? And uh, I want you to listen to these words. Listen to these words. You know them well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, most of you know this is the beginning of the Shema, which is the Jewish confession of faith. The Shema is two verses long, and it's found in Deuteronomy. And here's what I want us to do. Let's go ahead and put that next slide on the screen. And I want us to say this out loud together. Okay? So everybody say this out loud with me. You ready? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. All right, thank you very much for doing that. These verses are very important to me, and here's the reason why. These verses help define my theology of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And if you allow me, I'm going to go off on a little rant today, just a little one. And I believe these, because I believe these verses that we have just quoted and said out loud are necessary for us to have a full grasp of the teaching on the Holy Spirit. Now, for believing Jews, the, word, the words of the Shema were said at the first thing they, when they got up in the morning, and then they were also said right before they went to bed at night. And you may ask, well, then why is this passage so important 
in our study of the Spirit. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are not they. They are not they. This is a concept hard for me to grasp. It's hard because I can't help but thinking sometimes of God as three different people, three different entities. But the words of God seem to differ from that because God says we are one. God is one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are one. And that Spirit that oneness of God dwells in us, dwells in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and they are one. Now, remember, we've started our time each, each time with this passage from Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. And just listen again to what it says. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of, is life because of righteousness. Now, here's what I think we do. How often do we treat God, Jesus, and the Spirit as different people, different actual personalities, different entities? And this theology has led to many misconceptions. If this is our thought process, if this is how we see God as three different people, it allows us to use the phrase, listen, well, Jesus never mentioned anything about that in the New Testament. And when have you heard that? When have you heard that? Therefore, it must be allowed. How many of us have heard this argument when... Someone's talking about one's morality. Well, if Jesus ne never said anything about this sexual sin, so it must be okay. Listen to me, please. This is important in our understanding of the Spirit. When God gives instructions and rules in the Old Testament around morality, Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Jesus is the Word which flows out of the mouth of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus speaks, He speaks the very words of God. Why? Because they are one. They're one. Jesus said, even of Himself, He said this to Philip. He said, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus also said, I and the Father are one. Are one. The Spirit is not someone different. He's not another personality different than God the Father or God the Son. The Holy Spirit, our Heavenly Father, and Jesus Christ are one. They're one. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 says this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, 
who is over all, through all, and in all. When we speak of the Spirit, when we speak of God, when we speak of Jesus, we need to think one. In other words, think one source, one source, the source which dwells within us, this gift that is given to us is the immeasurable power of the holy. What we have tended to ignore for years, for years, is the power we need to live our lives each and every day. It's the power we have within, inside of us to help us in making decisions, to comfort us, to teach us, to guide us, to convict us of our sins. Living in us, living in us is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And you may say, James, okay, okay, you're, you're kind of belaboring this point a lot. I think we get what you're talking about. I think we understand the significance of the holy, the oneness of God. Well, good, good, because this is going to help us. This is going to help us because this will help us tremendously as we move forward in these lessons on the Spirit. The source within us is the power of the holy to change our lives, our minds, and our souls. Okay, I'm through with my rant. All right, here we go. Okay, so I'm going to make a hard pivot now. We're going to talk, and I'm not going to stray very far from our source today, so about the power of the Holy Spirit. When we began this study two weeks ago, someone asked me if I was going to cover being born of the Spirit. And at that time I said, ah, I don't think so. I wasn't even thinking about covering that passage. I was headed to the upper room after those first two lessons. But the Spirit had other ideas in my life. I could not get the question out of my head. So I couldn't let it go. So I started digging. I started looking. I started reading John chapter 3 where that is found. And what I found, I believe, is vital in our discussion of the Spirit. Let's read John 3, 1 through 3. And this is the discussion that is going on with Nicodemus. Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I think it's a little weird that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And remember who Nicodemus was. Remember who he was. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling party of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was very studied. He was an intellectual. He was a teacher of the law. We know he was disciplined, and he was a law keeper. Nicodemus would have been rigorously religious, so why do you think Nicodemus comes to him at night? Do you remember what happened in chapter 2 of John? Because in John chapter 2, right before this, Jesus goes into the temple during the Passover feast, and he made a whip, and he drove out all those who were selling oxen and sheep and goats and pigeons and, and all of the animals. He also drove out the money changers, pouring out their money and overturning their tables. And while he was there during that feast, he also did many signs. And it says, many believed on him. 
he now has this big, huge crowd of followers. So now you get the backstory. Now you get the backstory in the mind of Nicodemus. This guy is gaining popularity. There are many listening to his teachings and many who are following him because of the signs that he is doing and he is performing. Maybe I can just hear Nicodemus say, well, maybe we could work with this guy. Maybe we could work with this guy. Remember, this is very early in his ministry. Maybe we could use him. I mean, he's, he's kind of a guy that I believe we could talk to. Maybe I could teach him a clearer way. So Nicodemus comes to him at night, away from the crowds, and begins his conversation with Jesus by flattering him. Rabbi, we know that you, our teacher, come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus is having none of this. He's having none of this. Jesus ignores the accolades and goes right for his juggler. Truly, truly. I mean, he just interrupts and goes, truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus ignores his compliments and lays out a challenge and a statement of fact. Unless you are born again. Unless you are born again. He will not see the kingdom of God. Okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Can you see Nicodemus look at Jesus with contempt and say, Are you nuts? Because this is what he says next to him. He said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Listen, I don't think Nicodemus is confused about birth and how that happens. I don't think that's the problem here. He's not confused about, about that. I think these remarks are disparaging and derogatory questions he is throwing back at Jesus. And Jesus is not letting him off the hook. He's not going to answer his questions, at least not in the way that Nicodemus thinks. Okay, so let's look at this word born again. Let's look at this word born again. All right. On the screen, hopefully. We've got, there you go. On the screen, I just want you to look at this word. This is the Greek word for again. It's, it's pronounced anothen. Say it together, class. Anothen. Anothen. Very good. I feel like a teacher. Here we go. So this word again has two meanings, not just one. The first meaning is again. And it has the idea of starting over. It's just like what we would think of again. Starting over, a new beginning. But it also has a double meaning. That word again means from above. From above. I need you to be born from above. I need you to be born anew. It was a double meaning, and both those meanings come into play when Jesus is saying that to Nicodemus. I need you to have a new source in your life. A new source in your life. Now, let's pause and just think. Think about what Jesus is asking of Nicodemus. He wants him to understand his spiritual plight. He wants him to grasp the trajectory of his relationship with God. And for us, uh, for us, you and me, how often do we pause and really think about our relationship with God and actually chew on these words. We must be born again. 
We must be born anew. We must start over. And starting over requires a new source in us. One that comes from above. Now, I believe that Jesus is driving at here with Nicodemus. That, that he wants him to catch this metaphor. To catch it and understand it. Even though Nicodemus is knowledgeable in God's word. Believe me, he is knowledgeable in God's word. Even though he has a pedigree. He's asking Nicodemus to start over. Does he need to start over? Does he need a new source in his life? Does he need a new beginning? Now remember, Nicodemus is a Jew, a very faithful Jew, who believed he was following God's word with all his heart, soul, and might. He was faithful in saying the Shema in the morning and in the evening. And here's the, here's the, the craziest thing. Jesus believed, listen to this, listen. Jesus believed he was spiritually dead. Believed he was spiritually dead. He believed Nicodemus had no life in him. So he's saying, Nicodemus, you need a new life, a new spirit, and not religion. Not more religious activities, not greater disciplines, because I can guarantee you that Nicodemus had all those things. He had all that. But he was missing the point. And how often do we miss the point as well? Let me say this again. Nicodemus needed a new life, not more religion. So let me ask you a question. Include myself. How about us? How about us? How about you? If Jesus were sitting beside you right now, just, just think. Close your eyes and just think. Jesus sitting beside me right now. If Jesus were sitting beside you right now and he said, you need to be born again. You need a new source in your life. You need a new beginning. And you're sitting there and he's sitting beside you. What would you say? What would you say? Okay, so open your eyes. How hard is that for us to see ourselves as spiritually bankrupt? How hard is that? Nicodemus was a devout follower of the law. He was a devout follower of the law. He was dedicated. He was faithful. But he was missing something at the core of his being. And Jesus recognized that in his life. In church family, how many of us, how many of us are there right now? We are missing that critical element as well in our lives. That critical element at the core of our being. Oh, we come to church every Sunday and we're fed. But there's no growth. We engage ourselves in spiritual activities. And we're no closer to God than we were five years, ten years, or twenty years ago. And we wonder why. Why? What Jesus is asking of us, asking of Nicodemus, he's asking that of us the same way. The only way one can enter into the kingdom of God is through a new birth born of the Spirit. 
This gift we have received at baptism is a supernatural experience which occurs at our birth, our spiritual birth. It, this is about an encounter with the Holy One, not one source, that source which is in, was within us. This is about allowing the Spirit to do a work in us and through us. This is us recognizing the Onathan, the again, that new source, that new beginning that I have to have from a new source, a new life, that one true God. Listen to what the conversation keeps on going. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born, Onathan, again, a new beginning and from above. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. All right, now church family, remember, this story that we're talking about is fundamentally aimed at believers. It's aimed at believers. Those who are satisfied with their lives, content with their knowledge, their traditions, their forms, their functions. And like Nicodemus, like Nicodemus, we have a difficult time seeing outside the boundaries that we have placed on ourselves or that others have placed on us. Nicodemus couldn't get past those boundaries he had placed on himself or that others had placed on him. Nicodemus says to him, how can this be? How can this be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus can't believe that he doesn't get it. Remember, Nicodemus is one of the premier teachers of the law. One who had the Old Testament, all the Old Testament memorized. He knew the scriptures like the back of his hand, and he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He should. He should. We should too. We should too. Nicodemus is missing the connection. He's missing the truth Jesus was trying to get at. Do you hear me, Nicodemus? Do you hear me? Okay, so these truths that Jesus is saying, they're not new. They're not new. They weren't new to Nicodemus. These, these truths that Jesus is talking about right here in this text, they're in the text. They're in the text. They're in the scriptures. And Jesus believed this teacher of the law should catch his references to these passages that he is alluding to. Okay, so see if these, see if these passages, see if these passages from the Old Testament are the basis of the discussion with Nicodemus. Here we go. For I will pour water on thirsty land and streams of dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. A new people, a new people through water and the spirit are going to spring up 
There is going to be a new birth from a new source that will be poured out on the Jewish people. And we see that in Acts chapter 2. That's exactly what happens. There's going to be a new spirit that will bring exceptional, unbelievable growth in people. And here's the second reference. This is Ezekiel chapter 36. It says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Not stone, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I believe, brothers and sisters, that, Nicod- that Jesus is begging Nicodemus to think, to think, to ponder, to dig, to understand his relationship with God. Remember, he believes, he believes Nicodemus to be spiritually dead, to be spiritually dead. Jesus is pointing Nicodemus. He said, I'm pointing you to Scripture. These are spiritual truths. And Jesus desires Nicodemus to capture them, to understand them, so he will reach out to God and actually find him. Guess what? There's no resolution to the story. It just kind of ends right there. Ends without just that. But Jesus just kind of leaving it on the table for Nicodemus to think about. And Nicodemus does. We know what he does in helping Jesus fund his burial. And this story is for us as well. So we will dig. So we will ponder. So we will think. So we will understand. So why is God laying this on our hearts? Okay, as one's led by God, as one's led by God, we, every single one of us, are infected by a sickness. And we call that sickness sin. And we know this because every single one of us are intimately acquainted with our own sins. We too, like Nicodemus, may be thinking that we're on the right path, that we're right in God's eyes. And Jesus, and Jesus tells Nicodemus, a follower of God, a believer in Yahweh, you must be born again. There must be a new source to your life, Nicodemus. There must be a new beginning. You must be born again. You, it's, a, it's a time for transformation. That counselor will take up residence in you. One that will take up residence and transform you. Okay, that scripture we read at the beginning, that Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. I want to put it in its full context real quick, okay? So here it is. Listen to this and see if this is not the struggle that Nicodemus is going through. It's the same struggle we go through, okay? Here it is. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the... uh, on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's light. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. All right, can I throw out something here? I'm just going to throw it out. Or at least I think, I, I, I think all of you know this, but no one can engineer a new heart in you. I'm talking about other people. I'm not talking about God. No one else can engineer a new heart in you. As a preacher, I can plead... I can teach, I can actually encourage, yet the direction of my life, the direction of your life, it is still our own. It's still our own. How we live our lives is ultimately up to us. And we all know this to be true, even though, even though, even though we often blame others for the choices that we make and the mistakes that we have made, these are our choices, and we can't blame anyone. The choices we have made in our lives are, are ours. They're ours, and ours alone, and we must own them. Why? Because, because, until we own our choices, until we face Till we face the reality of our spiritual bankruptcy and reach out to our Heavenly Father, we will never come to that place in our hearts where we say, I need God. We must be born again. We must be born from above, a new source in our lives. Okay, so for all of you that are believers here today, all those who are believers for all those who are believers who made the good confession, who have been washed in Christ's blood and received His Spirit, let me ask you a question. Where are you right now in your walk with God? Where are you? Are you moving toward God? Or are you moving away from Him? Are you struggling with sin? Struggling to hold on to that good confession that you made many, many years ago, or even today. Like Nicodemus, we often believe we are on the right track. We often think we have it figured out, but do we? Okay, the men, the, the men that are usually standing at the back of our auditorium, you, you elders can go there right now if you want to. They're standing at the back during usually during our closing prayer, these are your shepherds. These are your shepherds. We've got a couple that aren't here this morning. They're charged, brothers and sisters, with the spiritual well-being of this flock. And you can go to them. You can pray with them. That's what they're there for. They, they want to sit with you and pray with you. Because why? Because the prayers of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's what James 5 verse 16 says. And the greatest of beginnings, though, the greatest of beginnings would be for those who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior today. 
And if you haven't responded to his invitation, if you haven't put Christ on in baptism as an act of faith and having your sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, today's that day to do that. This new source of life is for all those who call upon his name. And if that's you, if that's you, I would encourage you today to make that step to be baptized in the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to his voice, hear his call, dwell in him as he dwells in you. I love you, Lake Homa. Let's stand and sing.